Welcome to the Creating Feel podcast, where we take our work, our guests, and our conversations seriously. But we try not to take ourselves too seriously. Our hosts are here to share with you unique experiences, and hopefully it will inspire you and challenge you to make something stellar. My guest today is Scott Moss, who gave the opening keynote at Utah JavaScript here in 2019. Um, what I loved most about, and why I really wanted to, to chat with Scott, other than the fact that multiple people were like, you should talk to Scott, <laughs> was that uh, his focus on on the problem space when you're developing an app, and not just maybe the romanticized mm-hmm. side of building software. A lot, a lot in your talk, you referred yeah. to things like test coverage and whatnot, yeah. code quality, right? <laughs> yeah. So, um, so Scott, before I get too far, like, how would you introduce yourself? Like, give me your short, brief background, or, or what would that look like? Uh, I am currently the CEO of a startup right now uh, in the Bay Area. Uh, software engineer, self-taught, never went to college. Uh, Navy veteran, did a lot of crazy things in the Navy. Um, I like things like most people. I like video games, like building computers. Uh, I love fashion. Uh, arts. I, lo- I love anything artistic, tattoos, drawings, paintings, anything like that. Um, I like to travel, do a lot of traveling, seen a lot uh, in the Navy, seen a lot out the Navy. And uh, I like hanging out with my family. We do all types of crazy adventures together, uh, just random things, uh, just to you know open up our lives to new things we would never get the chance to if we didn't just jump out of a window and try something new. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, that's that's me. So are any of them in tech? Do you, I'm assuming, do you have kids? I have a son. He's nine, and he actually does know how to code. Uh, <laughs> I, <laughs> yeah. I taught him when he was six. Uh, and he's writing JavaScript already. Yeah. Uh, I have two younger brothers that are in tech. One of them is my co-founder. Uh, the other one is my intern. Yeah. Really? Yep. Awesome. <laughs> and what's that like? Uh, it's crazy uh, because I'm their older brother, uh, and they are both very proud uh, and <laughs> It's really hard for them to have me be their boss, I guess, um, to listen to me because they want to be their own person. And for me to be like, hey, I, you know, I need you to do this or you got to do it this way, it's, it's really tough for them. Uh, so I can see that there's always a constant struggle uh, between us. But what, what, you know, if there wasn't any struggle, there wouldn't be any growth. So we're all growing and we're all getting better and we're accepting our roles. And you know, the benefit of it is that the culture of our company is amazing because I'm with my brothers and like we – we are so comfortable with each other. I mean, we literally live with each other. We work together. And then our employees, when we all come together, it's just like one big family. Uh, yeah, so, so you have that shared history, that yeah. shared context, right? Exactly, the shared context. Yeah. We, we kind of know what everybody's doing without having to say things. Uh, and it all just really works out. Uh, we, we have the same goals, so I know that we all have the same intentions. It's, it's really good. Yeah. Now, how long have they been working with you? Um, my The one that's my co-founder, Mike, uh, he... Let me see. He's been working with me on type for almost two years. But before that, I had a, I had a consulting company where I hired him as an engineer. Um, he was he was working in the Bay, and then he quit because he had the startup bug, and he wanted to, he moved down to San Diego to work on some dating app, and it failed because he didn't focus on the problem. Uh, and then I, and he needed a job, and I was like, yo, I got this consulting company in Atlanta. We got this really huge contract. Like, come out here. And so he came out there, and then when that kind of fell through because we didn't want to do consulting anymore, I was like, I'm going to start a SaaS business. You should help me. And then we did it. So, yeah. And then my other y- younger brother, Greg, he just started learning to code like four months ago, which is why he's still an intern. Yeah, yeah. that's awesome. So I'm curious. So, I mean, this is your younger brother, of course, mm-hmm. as your intern. But uh, 
with through the filter of focusing on the problem versus the solution, and you said a couple of times, you know, he's learning how to code. Yeah. So, given the problem solution situation, mm -hmm. right? How do you think of him through an internship any mm -hmm. differently? Is that any different, or it is different um, because he is my brother, but through like the the lens of like an internship, like I've worked with so many interns at other companies and there's nothing more that I want than to see people grow and become better, especially my brother. Like I want the best for him. I want him to be a much better engineer. I want to be more successful than I am. Uh, so seeing him through that lens, it's, it's pretty tough. I think I'm really hard on him a lot um, <laughs> because like yeah. I'm just trying to tell him everything I did wrong so he doesn't have to waste that time doing it. But I have to remember at the same time, he's just learning and there's his own process he needs to follow. Uh, so he's going to have issues and there are going to be problems associated with it. But I'm just like, just just jump, you know, forget the just go. Out process. Just go and do this yeah. like this. You'll be fine. Uh, so that, that part is kind of tough because I just want the best for him. So I, I come off, I don't know, kind of aggressive in, in that standpoint. Uh, but, yeah, it's, it's weird seeing him like that. But, like, we switch between the two dynamics, like, all the time. Like, we'll be working. And then, like, for lunch, we'll just, like, all right, let's just play Borderlands, you know, for, for an hour. <laughs> like, you know, then now we're yeah, cool. Yeah. And they're, like, all right, get back to work. Like, you know, and then, like, I'm your boss now. So it's uh, it's kind of crazy. But, like, I think we all uh, respect each other. And, like, the way they treat me is really cool, too. You know, they don't really treat me like a boss, which is great. I'm just their brother, you know. Like, we all kind of talk to each other like we're equals. It's just the way that we do it is, like, if someone has more experience in something – then usually that person takes the lead. And it, we don't really care about titles or anything like that. And it just so happens I have a lot more experience in a lot of the things early on in this stage than they do. So it, it kind of just works out that way. Yeah. Now, coming from a military background, how much of the way in which you think about solving problems, because, you know, in the military, I, I'm not from the military, but I have a lot of family that are. Mm -hmm. I live down in San Diego. Yes. One of the most beautiful places. Amazing. On the earth. Ridiculous. <laughs> it's ridiculous. ridiculous yeah. But, you know, surrounded by a lot of military people. And one of the things I, I have sensed and see to be a, such a great asset is focusing on a problem, mm -hmm. right? I mean, you have this massive organization, multiple organizations, mm -hmm. millions and millions of people. You were a part of it for four and a half years. Four and a half years. Mm -hmm. and, and so I'm curious, how much, if any, came from that background at all? I think all of it did, honestly. Um, as a kid, I was just... A different person I had like the worst temper I was impatient had all this energy and I didn't know what to do with it uh, and the military helped me focus that and from day one from boot camp like you get there <laughs> it's it's not a joke like literally the first day it's just like a different experience you got people yelling at you screaming at you and then as you progress you you realize that the things you didn't think you were capable of doing the things that you told yourself are impossible are like not only are they possible they're kind of easy and you, you, you get a taste of that and you realize that like, I can pretty much do whatever I want. I can pretty much do anything if I just actually go out and do it. And it makes you start thinking like, okay, if I can do whatever I want, if I'm capable of doing the things that I didn't think I can do, then maybe I should only do things if I have to. Like, and for that reason, I started looking at just problems. And that was just me in boot camp. But then when you get into like the actual work in the Navy, <laughs> There's problems everywhere. Um, right. I mean, I went. I was working on helicopters. I was doing diving. I was lifting bombs. There was a lot of things that I did, but it was always a scenario. There was always a situation, and that was the only time that you actually did anything. And there was just an incredible amount of planning, an incredible amount of coordination behind it. Uh, but everybody was just so confident, 
everybody was just so sure that they were going to be able to accomplish this goal. And that's kind of like hard to get used to when you're just like, um, this is a big deal. It's a big problem. And you guys are just talking like it's nothing. Like you've done it a thousand times. Yeah. Um, and they're like, yeah, because that's what we do. That's what we get paid to do. We get paid to solve this problem. The helicopter broke down. You got to go fix it. Or someone had dropped this bomb. You got to go pick it up. Like it's just like weird stuff like that. Uh, and it, it was just the cadence of my life for the next four and a half years. It's just being on call for like issues that happen and then finding some creative way to fix them. Um, and you get used to it. And I start, a, a, you know, adapting it to my life, applying it everywhere in my life. With my family, I would sit down and like watch them and figure out what's going on in their life and try to offer solutions. Like that's all I did. I became this person that like overanalyzed every single thing mm -hmm. in my life and the people in my circle. And some people didn't like it. It pushed a lot of people away, but it, the military definitely changed me into that person because it's always a life or death situation where you have to do that. Very like, serious. It's very, very real. serious. Yeah. yeah. Like you can't even leave a tool. If you left a wrench, if you left a screw on the helicopter, like they're going to down the entire flight line and go find it and it's going to cost millions. So, like, everything's very serious. Yeah. So you kind of just get used to it. So your process at this point of problem solving, what is – walk me through it if, if it's unique at all. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how unique it is, but for, for me, it's mostly – it starts by just not talking. Like, the best thing you can do is just listen. Uh, if, if you're in an environment with a lot of professionals, like whether it's the military or whether it's a startup, people are going to have problems. The more people are in a room – the more problems there are going to be. So if you just don't talk, you'll listen to them. People like to talk about their problems all the time. I mean, every day when I was in the military, people would come in the shop, and they're just complaining. They're just complaining all day. So that's all you hear are problems. Yeah. Uh, so that's the first thing I do is I, I listen a lot more than I talk, um, and I try to notice trends. I notice, like, am I hearing the same thing? Am I hearing people talking about some of the same issues? Am I having the same issue? Are there things that I'm seeing? And then once, once I kind of develop that, the next thing I do is I research. I mm. research to see if there's a solution already. Like, there has to be something for this. They just don't know about it. Or, like, you know, I want to be helpful, so let me find something and offer it to them. And most of the time there is. There's, like, a solution. I'm like, hey, you know, I heard you, you know, talking about this yesterday. Did you know that there's an app that does this? And like, oh, wow, thank you. Um, but on the rare times where there isn't something, I'm like, hmm, I wonder why. You know, I wonder why there isn't something. So then I research anything that might have been but has failed. And that usually leads to, like, oh, there, there was this app that actually solved this problem but they ran out of money because of this. And I'm like, oh, it sounds like a tough business or something like that. So yeah, I'll research something and that something will lead to, sounds like there's like <laughs> an earthquake or something. <laughs> this went that? from a quiet place to a not quiet know, place overnight. Um, and yeah, usually you'll find some, some graveyard app or something where it's like, okay, th this solved something or it died because of new technology or because the adoption of the business was bad. And that's usually like some good idea of you know if you can build something yeah uh, and from there i kind of use like my intuition and and to figure out if like is this something worth me building is the market big enough can i deal with the same troubles this company that failed dealt with um, am i the right person for it do i have enough people to talk to about it because if there's only like two or three people that i know that i can get access to that have this problem i'm not gonna waste my time with it yeah right. i know i'm not gonna be informed enough to build a solution i need access to a lot of people complaining about it somehow some way and yeah the internet helps but sometimes it's hard to find those people depending on the problem so i look at all those things and then it's like if it all just works out i'm like okay yeah. I, I think i can do this and i just start reaching out to people like the people that i hear complaining people that i think might be complaining about it because they're similar to the other people i hear complaining 
and I just listen. I just ask them very open-ended questions, you know, what's the worst part of your day? Um, what really sucks, you know, what, if you could build a perfect solution for this problem, what would it be if you had a magic wand? Like, things like that. And I just listen, and I just record it all. I look at that data, and I'm so just like... So do you like, use an actual recorder, or is it just pen and paper sort of stuff? Uh, I usually... So if it's... It, I try to do them in person. If they're in person, um, I'll write it all down, pen yeah. and paper. If it's video, I ask if I can record the video, and I'll just go back and get the notes later. But, yeah, I definitely try to record as much as I can because I got to see the trends. And I like to plug it into, like, a spreadsheet or, or something like to actually, like, quantify the, the data. Uh, yeah, so how, much, how many data points do you generally find yourself using? Is it half a dozen, a million? I don't know. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> You're like, it's, I talk to two million people <laughs> every idea. Yeah, I try to, depending on, like, how close I am to the problem, if yeah. I'm really close, I'll just, I'm basically looking for someone to tell me it's not a problem. Like, yeah. I'm looking for someone to invalidate it. If I'm not close to the problem, like I have to talk to hundreds of people. Yeah. Like I need hundreds of people and I need very much a lot of data points on them. Like I need to know, you know, who they work for, the size of the company, uh, how many employees are in that company. Mm -hmm. Like I'm trying to discover all of that so I can categorize it. Um, and I just need to develop, a, I need to become an expert at that problem. Right. right. And I'm trying to know what they know. So every time I talk to someone new, I have a different set of questions that's very targeted. Like, like I know what they're saying, I know the jargon they use. I know the problems they're having, and it's it's very easy to talk to those people when they feel like you're an insider with them as well. So if I'm understanding right, so as you're interviewing people, you're refining your question yes. set. So I would imagine that those first few are going to be quite generalized, like you said. Exactly. You know, like walk me through what the situation is. Yep. Um, are there any go-tos that you find yourself consistently asking? Like there's this one question where I'm like, I know that it gets me closer to a result. Is there yes. any that come to mind? Yeah, the biggest the biggest two is the one that I said where it's like if you can wave a magic wand, what would this what would the solution look like? Yeah. And it's always eighty percent of the time it's just like this crazy ridiculous thing, but the other twenty percent of the time is like it's gold and it's really good gold. Like people say some things that they think it's just only a genie could do, but like I can do that in like a week and it's like not a big deal. So that's really good. The other one is when I ask them to. Um, describe like the most frustrating part of their day ah. that one's usually really good too because i really want to understand how this person ticks i really want to understand what gets them and what makes them feel some type of way even it has nothing to do with the problem i'm trying to solve i just want to understand them their persona so that i can use that to apply it to other people that i feel like are in their persona like i yeah. can i can uh empathize with them like oh i know that you have to deal with this every day and it, it makes them feel like I'm part of that group, that I understand what they're going through. And it, it helps them open up to me. They yeah. open up to me and give me more information. So even if it has nothing to do with what I'm solving, the, the empathy uh, helps me out a lot. That's great. So I want to go back because you told a story during your talk about uh, your first VC experience. <laughs> yeah. You were how old? Like 16 at the I time? I was uh, 14 going on 15. Yeah. 14 going on 15. Yeah. All right, and you were talking about like at the time that you know VCs in San Francisco are basically sitting around, <laughs> like you can go in any Starbucks and you're, yeah. there's some deal is going to get worked out, right? Yeah. So I'm just curious. So so walk me through what was this this your first VC experience? Oh God. Okay. So I was it was the summer of 2004, um, and I was cutting grass. Um, I had this grass cutting company. I thought I was a big shot. I mean, I was 14 years yeah, old, yeah, I was yeah. making You're like, taking over the world. Yeah, There's was, so much grass. Your market so size much. is huge. It was ridiculous. I was turning down customers. I was like, I don't have time. <laughs> uh, I, I had two lawnmowers, too. It was crazy. Um, and I was, I don't know, I was probably making like maybe $800 a month, maybe. 
And I thought I was so big. And I was like, and I just saw the potential for this. I was like, if I can buy more lawnmowers, I can say yes to these people I'm turning down. I can go to different zip codes, different states. I, I could literally cut all the grass in America. I could cut the parks. There's so much I can do. Uh, and I was like, this is the point. I read this in a magazine. This is the point I need to go talk to the VC. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, that's yeah. That's most what startups do exactly. Right. I was that. Like, They're that, like, yes. Yeah, I need to raise money so I can hire. I was like, Duh. every breathing person is my customer, yes. so we need to talk to a VC now. Exactly, and I was yeah. like, I can't believe nobody's doing this. Like cutting grass, <laughs> they're so stupid. So uh, I got on the internet, and I just this was back when people were just so okay with putting all their personal information on the internet. Like it was ridiculous. Like you could go online and find anybody's number, and I found the number. It was just one VC. I can't remember the name of him anymore, but. I used to read a lot of, he was like a guest writer in Forbes. He was a columnist or whatever. Um, so I was like, I'm going to reach out to him. I felt like I connected with him. I always liked his articles, and he always encouraged people to, why, here, he even had articles like, here's how you reach out to a VC. And mm -hmm. like, I followed that article. Like, okay, I'm going to do that. And then I got his number, and then I called him. He didn't pick up. Um, so then I called him from a different number. He picked up. And as soon as he picked up, um, I didn't even ask who he was. I just started pitching. And I was just like, <laughs> I was like, hey, my name is Scott Moss. I'm 14. I'm here in Atlanta. I have a grass cutting business I think you'd be interested in. Uh, I'm making this amount of money every month. My plan is to make this amount of money. Uh, all I need is, uh, I forgot how much I asked for it. It was less than a million. I think it was like 500K. I was like, all these like 500K to buy this, th this amount of lawnmowers, maybe a, a, a stand, a sit down one. And I feel like you could help me. What do you say? And like, there was just this long pause. I could hear him breathing like, <sighs> That's all I heard was him just a deep exhale. And he was like, I don't know how you got this number, but please don't call again. And he just hung up. And I was just like, God, okay. <laughs> that didn't work out. Um, but I don't know. I felt like, I don't know. Something about failures to me are success. Like, it just feels like I build on top of it. It was his motivation to like, okay, well, if he didn't like that, then I just need to do better and do more. So I kind of just went, went with it. Yeah. So um, have you worked with VCs since then? Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. So my current company right now, we've raised uh, over $2 million. Uh, we went to YC. We were uh, YC Winter 18. And, yeah, we went to Demo Day. We raised, like, $2 million. And the VCs, yeah, it's a different story. <laughs> Way different story uh, now. Like, I don't have to cold call them. Uh, uh -huh. They email me now. So that's really cool. Um, and I, I actually uh, – can understand their job a little more and, and realize that they actually have to deploy this money like they have to give it away otherwise they lose their job so they are in the business of giving away money to as investments as like i'm in the business of you know creating whatever business i'm doing so they have their own problem they're trying to solve so it's like a partnership uh, and then once like you realize that you can kind of pick and choose who you want to work with who you want to take money from right yeah. so looking back if you could have told your 14 year old self to do it to do this differently, like what would be the first thing you would have told? Hmm. I don't know. I think I did a pretty good job back then. <laughs> <laughs> like, never mind. He just said no. Right? Yeah. I, like, I, I think I uh, five more. Yeah. I th yeah. I probably would have called more VCs. <laughs> <laughs> I would have just right, called more. Yeah. Honestly, I would have called more. I, I think somebody would have. I think I think it would have happened. I, th I think it would. I should have found someone local. I think that's what I would have done. Find someone local and get in front of their face. Yeah. Uh, and that would have been better because it still seems like it was a good idea to get some investment. But I was a 14 year old kid. Maybe maybe have my parents come on board. Maybe my dad or something like that. But 
I don't know. I think I still would have did it. That's good. <laughs> yeah. My name is Amy Denton, and I wanted to take a brief moment to tell you about my YouTube channel, SelfTeach.me. If you're looking to level up your web design or developer skills, my videos are just for you. I try to make it fun and interject a little humor as I geek out over things like CSS tips and tricks, building one-off React components, what is Git, and how to install it, and how to work on a team with it. I hope you'll join me. Go to codingzeal.com slash selfteachme. Link in the notes. Now back to the show. So it seems to me like you have this compulsion to create, right? Yeah. Uh, call it problem solving. I, you know, label is just creation, right? Yeah. You, you uh, said a few things that I thought were well, very well said. Many things that I thought were very well said, and more specifically, you know, if 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 I captured this correctly, it was. Um, wherever I captured it, where was it? Um, that were, uh, it was about, pri um, I don't know where I put it down, but anyway, it was, it was about that our job here, especially as programmers mm -hmm. is to solve problems, right. not just write code. Yep. Right. So that act of creation has purpose, mm -hmm. right? And so the compulsion that you have to create where does that come from? Can you identify like a time in which you're like, I've got to make versus consume? Uh, I think it's a couple of things. I think one, just like growing up in poverty and just watching everyone around me just consume everything. Like, I mean, literally and, and metaphorically speaking, like we would be, we would go, you know, half the month, every month starving because my mom would get food stamps. We'd eat all the food the first 10 days and then we'd be starving for the next 20 days. So like just always just consuming, always just expecting things, always needing things. And then the only people that I've ever seen succeed were people that made stuff. Like everybody who created something were all, the only ones that I've ever seen successful, right? They, they did something, they offered a service. We, we would have a plumber come out and fix a toilet and he would have come up with some crazy solution because the toilet was ridiculously clogged. And he created this thing I've never seen before. I'm like, oh, it's like some weird gadget or a piece of technology that I played with at Best Buy. Like someone made that. Uh, and I won it. Uh, so I never wanted anything from any of my friends. They never made anything. So it was just, it seems like the only things that I ever wanted were things that people made. Um, and I was like, okay, well, how do I get to that point? Um, and then I, I grew up watching like tons of like anime and sci-fi. Like that's, that's just how I am. I love anime. I love sci-fi and sci-fi is literally nothing but people making ridiculous shit. So like, I just wanted to be part of that. I wanted to be able to make that stuff. And, um, the only problem was I didn't think I was capable. You know, I didn't think I was able. I didn't study enough. Um, I didn't have the resources. I didn't have the money. So what I did was when I did get a hold of things, I would just take them apart. That's why my mom really never got us stuff because as soon as I could, I would just take it you apart. you pull it apart. I'll pull it apart. Like, I remember yeah. she bought us a, a PlayStation one time. I completely took it apart. I unscrewed the whole thing. I was like, because I thought something was in there, like some little magic thing. I was like, what's in here? How does this work? I just had to pull it apart. I saw, I saw the first time I saw a circuit board, first time I saw like wires and a, and a chip, I was like, what is this? Like, it was just so crazy to me. And uh, it was just fascinating that a human made this. Like, I didn't yeah. understand. I'm like, how do I not understand this? Like, there's, is this person so far on a different level that like it's beyond what they made is beyond my comprehension? Like, comprehension? Like, I don't believe it. So, like, I need to know. I, need, I feel like I'm missing out. I feel like, there's this whole other world here being created by people uh, that, you know, I look up to and I want to be part of it. So yeah. I just, I needed to do it. Yeah. 
So how did that, um, did your, was it something that your mom, I mean, other than the, you just, we just got a PlayStation, you just destroyed the thing, Scott. <laughs> Thanks for that. Yeah. I can't imagine she was the most happy about those moments. No, no, it's not but a good time. Was she encouraging this, this creation, mm. creationism that you had? Not at first. Yeah. She didn't know it for a while. Um, at first she thought I was just a destructive kid. She thought it was like, you just break everything. That's why I don't give you stuff. But it wasn't until around um, middle school when I started getting into like uh, honors classes and stuff like that, mm-hmm. and I started excelling in school that she's like, oh, wait, okay, wait, you actually like this stuff. Like, cause it was, it was kind of weird. Cause nobody in my family ever been through that stuff. Like we all barely got through my brothers and sisters before me dropped out of high school. So it was just kind of strange to see like one of us like succeeding in, you know, anything scholastic. So my mom was just like, oh, you, you really like this stuff. And I was like, yeah, I really do. Like, I'm very interested in it. And you know, I'm not, I like basketball, but I don't want to be an NBA player. I want to, I want to be an engineer. Like, I want to break things and build things. I want to make lasers. I want to get us to space. I want to colonize Mars. Like, I want to do stuff like that. And she was just like, okay. She was just so excited that one of her kids wanted something other than what everybody else wanted. Yeah. And she was all for it. So at that point, you know, although she still couldn't afford to buy me things, uh, she did encourage me to push myself to, to get into it a lot more. So she was definitely more encouraging. And then my dad is a huge nerd. He just watches Star Trek all day. He's into sci-fi. That's kind of where I get it from. So he's always encouraged me, and, and, and that was a big motivation for me, too. It's just like every time I would go to his house, like he's always watching some weird sci-fi thing, or he's always got these ideas. Uh, and he, he was like a database administrator for IBM at one point, so he was in tech. So, like, a lot of that rubbed off on me, too. Yeah, very fascinating, yeah. So, um, other than yourself, your brothers, um, anyone else in your family have that sort of creation quality or entrepreneurship? I don't think they know it yet. Um, so, I have a sister who plays professional basketball overseas, and she also has her Ph.D. in psychology. And she's been – I've been talking to her. Like, she has, like, a, her off seasons like, in the summer, and she comes back home to the States – She's got this bug where she's, like, trying to make something, but she yeah. doesn't really know what to do. She wants to start, like, this CrossFit gym in Atlanta, but then she uh, she wants to open up this eSports gym in California, and, like, she's got all these ideas. I even connected with some of my investors to, to help her pitch just for practice, and she really wants to do it, but, like, she's scared to take that step. Like, yeah. she's worried about losing her security and stuff like that. Um, and I have another brother in New York right now who has his master's in business, and he works for, like, huge – financial companies up there and he's just he's done he's so beat up with it he can't take it anymore uh and i talk to him almost every week about starting some business and he tries but he really only focuses on ideas he doesn't really talk to anybody he has he's the most creative person I've, i know in my entire life like this dude like literally makes his own clothes make that's all he all his clothes he made himself uh but he doesn't know how to apply that creativity to like a company and build something that's sustainable so like i'm trying to get them there but it's a lot harder when we're not together and they have their own lives but i I do i do think they have it within them and and that's why we talk about it all the time so taking that kind of desire that ideation mode of all the things coming out and flowing and these would be great this would be great but then taking it into action clearly is like one of the hardest steps. Yeah, it's, right? it's hard. Well, and yeah. it also sounds like based on your talk when we're talking about what type of action are you taking, right? Are you just coding to code mm-hmm. without a focus on, you know, who the audience for that or who the who the problem exists for that you're right. solving for? Right. You know, uh, and so taking that right most poignant action so you, I would imagine there's efficiency in there, right? Yeah. So you're not just going, you know, 50 different directions when you should really only go one. Right. So it sounds as well that 
entrepreneurship is a solution to a problem that a lot of people feel is real for them, right? Oh, yep. if I had my own, if I owned my own career, if I had my own yep. journey, that this would solve my problem. Is that something you you subscribe to or agree with? I do. Um, I think the most important resource is time, right? And yeah. I don't care what job you get. I mean, a job is really about trading your time for money. That's it, right? Money you can always get. It grows on a tree. It's going to come back to you. You will never get your time back. We don't have time machines. So you got to think about how much is your time worth. And the more knowledgeable you become, I believe the more your time is worth, especially if you have family that needs that knowledge, you want to share it with them. You really would rather be giving that time to them. And the only way to control your time and yet still make money is to have your own business. Like you can't, I don't care who, you can go work for Facebook, you can be the principal engineer. They're going to control your time. They can say you can have unlimited vacation. They're still going to control your time. They can pay you a million dollars a year. They're still going to control your time. Mark Zuckerberg's not even in control of his own time. He works for Facebook. So at some point you have to be like, okay, if I'm really serious about giving my time to people who need it, uh, I need to be able to be in control of it. And the only way to do that is, one, like I said, put a value on your time and how much you need. Like it's like Because if, if you're not working and you're spending your time somewhere else, who's buying your time? Like someone has to buy your time. So it has to be you. You have to buy your own time. You have to have money to buy your own time. So in order to do that, like that's why I really get into entrepreneurship. It's like I'm trying to be able to afford to buy my own time so I can share it with my family and help them out. I'm not going to be able to do that at a job. Like they're never going to understand that because they want my time. I can't so is this the problem else. you're solving for it's you? It's the problem I'm solving for myself, yes. It's the closest thing I can get to a time machine. Like this is it. So uh, it's the, I'm never going to be, be able to go back, but at least I can control how I spend it. Uh, and that's, that's what I'm trying to do. Very fascinating. So to anybody that is that where that resonates for them, where, you know, they, especially in tech, like you said, you know, the Facebook, you know, right. make huge wages, have unlimited this, that, and you know, what, what have you. But there's at the end of the day, the probability is that somebody still is going to control some, they're buying some, I, I like the way you said that they're buying something from you and yep. they're buying your time from you. Yep. So to anybody that that resonates with, that wants to change who's purchasing their time, maybe turn it back to themselves, where do you start? Like, what's the first step? The first step is figuring out the type of lifestyle you want to live because that's going to help you determine how much your time is worth. So, like, if, you like, if you're saying, okay, I work at Facebook right now, I make 350k a year, uh, do you need to maintain that lifestyle if you didn't work at Facebook? Or are you okay with making half of that? Like, and that's going to determine what you can do with your time because it's like oh yeah actually i really don't need all this i'm just like some single you know single in the city i don't have any kids i don't really need all this money like it's all cool okay cool then you could actually afford a different lifestyle and that's going to provide a lot of different opportunities for you now like you don't have to go off and go try to find a huge problem in a huge market and raise a lot of money to get back to the point where you're making 350k instead you can just take your time maybe do some consulting once a month you know or maybe half six months out of a year you do consulting the other six months you just travel because you only need to make half of that uh, and then now you have control of your time uh so yeah determining your lifestyle is the biggest thing and i think a lot of people take that for granted because a lot of people think about what they want to do instead of how they want to live which is ultimately what's going to make you happy like you if i told you like if you told me your dream was to i only want to work you know 20 hours a week i want to be able to travel all the time and be able to afford to buy my family whatever they want uh, and I said, okay, you can do that. You just got to pick up dog poop. Like, would you do it? Probably because it provides you the lifestyle that you want. You don't really care what you do as long as it's not illegal or hurting anyone. Like, you're not going to care. It's, it provi it's providing the lifestyle that you want. 
So yeah, uh, first thing is think about that lifestyle, not so much about what you want to do, and then walk backwards from that lifestyle, do some research, and and find opportunities that prevent or allow you to live that lifestyle. And you might find out that you could probably still go work a job and have have someone else be in control of your time because you're okay with you only need control of this amount of time. You don't need control of all your time, so you're okay with it. But other people like me, where it's like, nope, I want full control of my time. I don't want anyone else telling me. The only way is to start something. So at that point, once you figure out your lifestyle, you really have to go find a really big problem to solve. Because the bigger the problem, the the bigger the opportunity, uh, and the the bigger uh, the, the more time you'll be able to control of yourself if that opportunity is capitalized on. So yeah, that, that's what you have to do. So you now have to tell me about the leftover app because <laughs> now we're getting into, you know, now. <laughs> You mentioned that of your ideas, you know, one of them was this leftover. You could buy leftovers from yeah. a restaurant. I'm assuming it was a great. This is probably where the the millions you've raised at this point. That's what <laughs> this is going for, right? Yeah, it's, yeah. It's the leftover app. Yeah, that app. So it was, it was called Plenty, uh, P L E T Y Y, and I was working on it with this other guy in the city. Um, actually, he he had an idea to do something like it. And then I was like, no, it should be like this now. We're going to take leftovers. And he was like, oh, actually, that's way better. Uh, so we started working on it. I was an engineer. He wasn't technical at all. He was I – don't, I don't know what he did, to be honest. And looking back at it, I really don't know what he did. He just came up with an idea. Um, and I started building it. It took me like a week to build a mobile app. It took me like another week to build an app for the restaurants. And basically the whole point was – restaurants in the Bay Area, like, for instance, like pastry restaurants, they would make all these pastries, and at the end of the day, they have to throw them away if nobody bought them. Right. Uh, but, like, there's these are nice pastries. So we was like, oh, we, we basically let them sell those pastries at a discount because they were just, like, overflow or, like, leftovers. Yeah. So and that's what, that's the whole point. And it was a great app. It was so well architectured. Like, it was so amazing. And then when we built it, uh, we went to a restaurant, and they were like, no. <laughs> this is stupid and I was like we can't actually give this away like it's illegal to give this away or we don't want to give it away this this guy takes it home with him so no or like like no we don't want to manage that we already have square and like this isn't square like it was just so bad and I was just like oh so this is not a thing <laughs> and then I was like well let me talk to people who are like interested in this stuff and then, like I would talk to the, the customers at those at those restaurants and they were like no I, I don't want stale pastries so no thank you I don't care if it's a dollar less like I wouldn't buy it and I'm like Got you. Okay. That was a month of my time wasted. So, yeah, that, that felt miserably. And then I kind of fell out with the other guys. Like, I'm not working on this anymore. I got a better idea. And he's like, oh, but, like, this is so good. Is that, this is the best idea. I'm like, no, this one's better. I'm going to go work on this one. And just kind of ditched him. So, yeah. Mm. So all these ideas that come flowing out of you, like, you know, you must capture them somehow. They must make their way into somewhere because yeah. I would imagine the more – the more ideas that come up, they generate even more, right? So yeah. it's ideas <laughs> compound and compound and compound. So wh where do they end up? Where do they go? Right now I've been using uh, a product called Notion uh, to keep track of everything because I really like their mobile app. Because for me, like, honestly, I can be out at Disney World with my family and I'll see something and I'll be like, oh, my God, that's a thing. And I'll write it down. And nowadays, actually, I try to, I try to write down as many problems as I do ideas. But it's still really good to write down ideas for when I find problems later. So I have like a list of like problems and ideas and I kind of like, like once a week I try to like match them, pair them together to see like what really works. Um, but yeah, I would just write it down in Notion on, on my phone or if I'm at home, um, I'll go through like, I might be reading an email, I might be reading a blog post, I might be listening to a customer and I'll just like, oh wow, 
that's a thing. Like, and I'll just, I'll just write it down and then I'll come back to it. And I have like a lot of friends now that are like trying to start companies and do engineering and I'll just send them the list. Like I just give them an invite to it and, and it's a public list and they can just look at it and, and take from it whatever they want. So, so is there a format and how you write it down? Is it just chicken yeah. scratch for you? Yeah, it's or? a format. Uh, so basically what I do is I, for an idea, I'll state um, why did I put this idea and then underneath it, I'll put the description of the idea and then underneath it, I'll put how long it would take to make it. And that's all I put for an idea. So it's kind of the cost of involvement. Right. The yeah. cost of involvement because like, okay, a flying car, that's a great idea, but who, lo- who knows how long <laughs> that's going to take. So yeah, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, you know, do that. So yeah, I'll do that. That way I can like sort it and filter it later. So do you, do you find yourself sorting it? Like when you review your list weekly or whenever, it, it, do you generally sort it by that first or is it sorted by what stands out? Like how's the sorting process look? That's where the problems come in. So like, um, I sort it. I, I, then I go look at the list of problems. I'm like, okay, here's a problem. Um, I, f- I feel like this could be solved very quickly or this, these people need a solution very quickly. So let me go to the ideas and sort by like th- the simplest implementation. Let me sort by that first and I'll go through those and I'll match them with the problems to see if, if I've thought of something in the past that matches this. And if not, then I'll just have to think of something new, get some more inspiration. But I've, I mean, I have like 500 ideas on this thing at this point. So like there's usually something there that I can mold and that's pretty much what I do. I just, I just cross-examine it between the problems. The problems are the biggest motivation behind the ideas that I work on. Like, what they don't get selected unless there is a problem. Like, I don't even care about them. I'll forget about them. I'll never think about them again unless there's a problem that, like, pulls it out. And, like, here, you have to try this. And then a lot of those ideas, if I'm, like, when I was, like, working on stuff, I would iterate on them, and they would plan out to be nothing. So they would just get thrown away. Like, they could still have been great ideas for another problem. But for this problem, this didn't apply, so I just threw it away. So... I kind of just go through them like like tissue. Yeah. Do you find yourself being more um, resistant? Like, I- I'm more willing to say no to this. I no to this problem and idea, so that I can more aggressively filter them down in my own mind. Or do you find yourself being hopeful and ambitious? And the really hopeful and ambitious things that pop up are the ones that you continue to gravitate towards. Um, I think the thing that drives me the most is hearing like so i've talked to a lot of people and listened to their problems and you got people who are just like yeah this is a, this is a thing for me but then i have people i talk to that will literally cry because something's bothering them so bad and that's the stuff that bothers me so when i write down my problems i put how much it bothers someone and that's usually what i go towards i gravitate towards those things because if this is bothering this person so bad it has to be bothering someone else and that's kind of how i decide what I'm going to lean towards. And, and then there's more from that, like, you know, the market and all this other stuff, like depending on what I want to do with it, am I just helping someone out? Am I starting a business? There's so many different things, but I usually lean towards that because that's the biggest indicator from my experience, especially starting a company now. Um, when I go talk to, when I go, when I go try to deliver this product to people, companies that I think have this problem, I do my research to make sure that they have this problem. And I know that it's a big problem for them. So I don't really have to do any selling. It's just like here, and they're just like, oh, yeah, we did need that. And I'm like, I know. And I don't have to do anything because it was such a big problem for them. Whereas if the problem wasn't that big of a deal for them, I could do a lot more selling. I do a lot more convincing. It takes a lot longer. So I'd rather just get that out of the way and only focus on really huge problems. Yeah. And so for those um, – or going back to the research, like what's that research protocol look like? You know, I would imagine you, – so you're talking to this person that's crying – do you take their profile, whether it be their job, um, their, you know, demographics or geography? Like, mm. 
what do you take of them personally to kind of mirror that so that you're continuing to ask the right people, yeah. you know, to get the right data points out of it? Yeah. So we, we basically, what we do is like, uh, we'll create like customer or user personas where we have like, we hypothesize of what a very specific customer will look like, what they would dress like, you know, where they live, how much money they make, what they do at their job, what their title is. Like we hypothesize all of it. And then we go talk to people that fit that. And then we see what problems they have. Um, and then based off those key points, we make pivots. We're like, oh, actually, you know, this person being a senior engineer doesn't matter. Any engineer has this problem. So like now we're opening up to any engineer. And that's kind of how we, we, we fit it. So we, 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 we try to match the problem they're having based off some key points that are specific to them. So like uh, if I were starting a fashion company, maybe a guy wouldn't have a problem with finding pants that fit uh, like a girl might have a problem finding pants that fit. So like because it's this, this person's not a guy, like I don't really care about them. I'm going to look only for women that have problems with pants that fit. So like stuff like that. Um, you kind of just like filter it out and you match the problem to their demographic, to their specific traits, and you just keep drilling down until it's just like, oh my God, every person that has this has this problem. And it's just like gold. And then it's just like, okay, now that we drill down, you zoom out and then now you, you look for everybody with that trait across all the people you've talked to. And those are potential people that have this huge problem. And then you just talk to them. And from my experience, it's about 90% right. Most of those people have that problem and it's like okay i got something here and you just you just keep doing that over and over yeah so how crappy is the first release then huh. uh the first release um is so bad um i've literally released software that was not software it's just like a literal click through um and got someone to pay for it like just something that didn't work <laughs> wait what yeah so I, you I, released a click just a click basically a mock-up yeah. effectively yeah Low fidelity, no designs either, like very low fidelity. Wow. I got them to pay for it. Uh, a letter of intent basically saying like, hey, I'm going to build this thing. I know what you want. We talked about it. I don't know what problem you have. I can do it in two weeks, but I need you to give me money now. And they're like, okay. Like if you're really going to make that thing that you said, like, yeah, I'll give you money right now. And they do. What tool did you use to do that? Do uh, I, think, I think it was Balsamic at the Balsamic. time. Yeah, okay. I used Balsamic yeah. at the time. I, I, I'm so good with Sketch and, and Figma now. I just use those now. But, yeah, it was Balsamic before I knew how to use those tools, which is really good. I like Balsamic. Uh, <laughs> and then I, I hooked it up in um, Envision for the click-throughs. And, oh, yeah. And that, that was enough. Like, I showed it to the team, and they were like, yeah, we need this. Like, when, when can we have it? I was like, oh, a couple of weeks, but you got to pay me now. And they, were, they didn't blink an eye. They were like, yeah, okay, sure. They this is care. really cool uh, and really fascinating to me because – uh, so we are, run a consultancy, and so we build software for companies that have effectively done that work, or yeah. we presume they've done that work. Yeah. And it's always unfortunate when we discover that they haven't. I know, dude. It's a very <laughs> painful time, right? Because, you know, we're not They expect you to do it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it's it's very clear. I mean, there's there are definitely indicators when you realize that the, the product people haven't done the research side mm -hmm. of it. They're idea folks, right? right? They're those that have an idea and they're so in love with their idea and they become even more in love. And now they've invested energy, emotion, time yeah. into their idea that now they start to double down. Right. And it can become really apparent when with CEOs that seem resistant to the notion of research or yeah. 
you know, yeah, it's okay if I'm wrong, right? I'm okay to be wrong. Well, when's the last time that you knew you were wrong? Right, exactly. Right? Yeah. And it's like, oh, I, uh, um, yeah, so far it's been great. It's like, been good so far, yeah. We're doing good. Yeah. Right. My mom's using it. My dad's using it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Our VCs are using it and yeah. they love it, right? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's very apparent when that is happening. So do you have, I, I would imagine that of all these, all these times in which you've you've built and brought to market, brought to life these ideas, you know, these solutions to problems, that there are times in which, you know, you have to kill the baby. Oh, yeah. That's weird. But, you know, yeah. just like <laughs> abandon ship and go like, this just isn't what, as much as I'm in love with it, like the leftovers or, yeah. you know, mowing the world's grass. Yeah. Is there a process you find yourself going through or, or a question you keep asking yourself to make sure that you're sort of, holding space for that option the option that it isn't right yeah i always assume it's not right that's my default i that's literally i'm just like i'm looking for someone to tell me uh that it is right i go in thinking that it is always wrong so i just i just don't get attached to any anymore and that changed for me i used to work for this company called udacity i was uh it's like a, a online learning company uh, I was like the lead front engineer there, and I really liked the way they ran their organization. They had these like small little teams, these small little tribes, and every team had their own everything, their own process, their own tools, their own stack. Like it was ridiculous. You could use use whatever you want. It was so much autonomy. It's like a small company in a company, and we had the best product manager, and she got us all involved with customers. So as an engineer, I wasn't just writing code. I was sitting down with the designers prototyping. I was conducting customer interviews. I was doing all this stuff. And it made me, my mentality switch from being an engineer to a product person. And I no longer was attached to the code. I was no longer attached to the beautiful, intricate things I did in React and Vue. I didn't really care about it. I only cared about the final experience from the user because I got to see that side. So I just wasn't attached to that stuff anymore. It was just about I just want to see this person smile. I want to see them happy and I want to see them like it. And that's all I really cared about. And that completely changed for me. So the process for me is just like, yeah, I just don't get attached to it in the first place. Code, the thing, the thing about software that makes it so beautiful is like, okay, we're, we're writing code. It's, it's text in a file. You can delete all of it and be done. If you're building a restaurant, you can't do that. You know, So we should take advantage of that advantage of the fact that we can just do it again if we need to. Um, and because of that, there's no reason to get attached. It's, if you made it that great before, chances are you make it better the next time. Um, so I just never get attached to it. Yeah, just get out of there. Yeah, it's too slow. It's, I, I don't have time to uh, fit a square piece into a circle hole. I don't, I don't have time. It's, it's too much work. So uh, your talk, you know, given the keynote, put some thought into it. I'm curious if we if you could go back and you could incept an idea if you could incept the takeaway for everybody sitting in that audience I know we can't but if you could mm. have a thought on what that would be um, I, I would go back to when I was an engineer thinking how I was going to start a company and not knowing how and what I would have liked to heard back then was um, no one knows what they're doing <laughs> No one. I don't care if it's Elon Musk. I don't care if it's whoever you look up to. No one knows what they're doing. They all figure it out along the way, and they do that by being really good listeners. Really, really good listeners. Yes, they're all visionaries. They have ideas, but I promise you they do not execute on those ideas without listening to people um, and surrounding themselves you know, around, surrounding themselves with people that are way, more, you know, way smarter than them and, and, and more skilled, but just being really, really good listeners and facilitators. And 
you're just not going to know what, what to do. And that's the whole point. You're an engineer. You're someone who doesn't know anything but can figure everything out. That's what I think an engineer is. Like, you don't really know anything. I don't remember half the methods on an array. I don't need to. But I can figure out how to do it if I need to. I can just go look it up. Uh, I don't need to remember it. I can find out whenever I want. And that's the beauty. And you got to apply that. It's like, I don't really know how to do this, but I can figure it out because that's how everyone else had to do it too. So I wish I would have known that. And I think that's the takeaway I would like everyone to know. That's fantastic. Where can people find you? Um, well, if you're in the Bay, hit me up. If you're in Sacramento, hit me up. Um, I'm usually in San Francisco every Tuesday and Thursday. Uh, I'm in Sacramento all the other days. You can find me on Twitter at uh, ScottUps. That's at S-C-O-T-U-P-S, one T. Um, GitHub, I'm, I'm always trolling on GitHub. Uh, yeah, that's pretty all much right, it. Good. Yeah. All right, anything So, uh, anything that uh, you've got going, anything you want to get some more earballs on that uh, is of interest to you? Uh, well, yeah, my company I'm working on, Type, right now. Um, you can't sign up and use it right now. So, <laughs> <laughs> and if you go look at the website, it's like we're still working on the new website, so it's like kind of outdated. But be on the lookout for it. We will be doing like a public release of the next version. We did a public release last year. Uh, and this is how I learned all this stuff. We, we, we had a product. We had 5,000 people using it, but no one wanted to pay us. Hmm, very strange. Uh, so we went back to the lab and did a lot more interviews, figured out a lot more problems. Now we're releasing the next version, but this time we're doing a different approach. Uh, so we'll be doing a public release sometime later this year, if not early next year. So be on the lookout for that if you build an app, if you build a static site in any technology, if you have an app that you don't want to manage content for, any app, uh, type is definitely what you want to do. If you want to do A-B testing with single-page applications with content, you want to do personalized content with all your single-page apps or universal apps, definitely definitely check out Type. That's fantastic. Well, Scott, I really appreciate it. I dug your talk a lot for a lot of the right reasons. Thanks. Uh, well, at least I think are the right reasons. Um, yeah, problems, solution, there's no doubt if we put more attention on the problem, mm -hmm. right, and yes. recognize that our, our role, our magic wand is the ability to architect things that the world has never seen before. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, we're empowered with something quite exactly. massive, quite awesome. Yep. Um, so that all being said, I really appreciated your talk. Thanks for yeah. your, thanks for your time. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Creating Zeal podcast. Like what you heard, drop some stars in your streaming service of choice, and then tell your mom, a friend, a colleague, a client, or someone you just meet on the street. We'd love to hear from you. Feel free to drop us an email at podcast at codingzeal.com.